This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 160. Well, there's gold in them there hills, but does Nova Gold have enough cash to dig up the gold? And what do rising beer sales tell us about the state of the U.S. economy? And we're going to talk to the CEO of one of the biggest companies in cybersecurity, CrowdStrike. CEO George Kurtz joins us. We're going to talk about what's happening with IT spending in what could be a slowdown in tech, but what does it mean for security? We'll find out when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss a critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And there are so many ways to listen to the Drill Down podcast, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, Ben, did you hear I did that? You just take a deep breath impressive. before you do that. But you don't have to go through all that effort. You can just click subscribe on your favorite podcast service. That way you can catch every show. And the drill down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the drill down. We explain the business stories behind stocks and a move. And joining me, uh, not so silently, He's always here. Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinaire, joining me to help host the pod today in the absence of Isaac Webster. Uh, ben, glad to have you on. Glad to hear you it's for good a good to be here. I know. It's a lot of fun. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's start with Nova Gold. Nova Gold Resources. It trades with the ticker NG. Over the last 12 months, shares are down 47%. What's the story with Nova Gold Resource? So Nova Gold is, as it might sound uh, like, they are a gold uh, uh, a driller, discovery company that's um, a miner in the terms of the industry, uh, and they're a big gold miner. And they have one really big project that seems to swing the stock, but is obviously a big focus for the company. That's the Donlin mine. It's an open pit gold project in Alaska. That open pit meaning they're not drilling holes, they're just they're just they're you know they're not tunneling anywhere. They're just basically blowing up a landscape trying to find the gold. And it's a big project with a joint venture with Barrett Gold. It's 50-50 project in Alaska. So this mine may indeed contain a ton of gold, but there's a lot of work to be done before they can even get to a final investment decision. And what's interesting here is that the inflationary pressures in the economy we've been reading so much about, uh, combined with a weakening gold price, you know, it could uh, uh, erode the feasibility of this project, right? If it's, if it's more expensive to drill it, or to mine it, and it's uh, and it's less value uh, under the ground because the price of gold is not rising despite what's happening in the with the worries in the economy. Well, the proven reserves, uh, you know, that they that they think that they've got a chance of getting might not be worth uh, unearthing. Uh, 
uh, meant that literally. So here's what Nova Gold CEO Greg Lang has to say about the inflationary pressures on their drilling program this year. As far as the inflationary pressures on this year's program, you know, most of our expenditure this year is drilling related. And, uh, you know, thus far our productivity has been very strong at the drill rigs. And because there is such a high fixed component of operating a camp, uh, the main thing you can do to control the cost is have good drill productivity. So we've uh, been achieving great productivity. We're about 70% through the program. And because of the productivity, we anticipate our drilling related costs, which is most of our budget, to come in uh, you know, below the budget. So inflation, uh, you know, we're certainly feeling some of the effects such as fuel for the camp and uh, bringing employees in and out. But you know, by and large, the uh, impact has been uh, minimal at, at the worst this year. You know, looking forward to next year, uh, you know, the, I don't anticipate uh, significant inflationary pressures as we move forward with the feasibility study. And I think, you know, certainly as we update the new feasibility study, we will take into account current market conditions into our capital and operating costs. So, you know, we're fortunate that, uh, you know, we're at a stage right now where we are not really, uh, you know, we're mindful of what's happening with inflation, but it's not impacting our day-to-day activities this year. So those comments were heard as to be really not terribly bullish, that inflation is still a big problem for them, and they're not really sure how big a problem uh, it's going to be. And it could really change things in terms of their decisions to go ahead with this one particular uh, Donlin mine. Um, interesting, you know, interesting take on what's happened in the world of gold and I think there's lessons there for lots of companies. Now, forgive my ignorance if I'm not up to date on the price of gold, but I'd imagine gold going down now is part of a cycle. So even if the price of gold is trending down, it might go back up. And would that affect the value of the drilling project? Yeah, I mean, the gold bugs are always trying to time, you know, the 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 cycle of gold prices. And generally, they think that rising inflation should be good for gold, but that has not been the case uh, thus far with this period of rising inflation, gold hasn't responded the way they would hope it would. Of course, the gold bugs hope it will go up all the time, believing there's lasting value there, but that's not really the way the market works. Well, as they say, whoever they are, time will tell. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Micron Technology. Micron Technology trades with the ticker MU. It sold off after earnings last week, but in the last 12 months, shares are down 29%. What's the story with Micron Technology? So Micron, uh, of course, is the, the large maker of DRAM. Uh, DRAM is that, that memory that goes in computers and servers and so on, phones, that is, uh, has very uh, dramatically changing prices based on demand. So this is the place of all companies in technology, and it has been true for decades. This is the one company where you go to look and see, are things going faster or growing slower? And, you know, once again, I think it's always worth looking at the details of these companies, not the um, uh, broad strokes of, of economic vicissitudes. Nonetheless, DRAM pricing really does respond to what's happening in the economy. And, you know, interestingly, in this DRAM business, really in all the chip business, my uh, Dan Niles is, a, is an investor, a technology investor here in the Bay Area. He's been around for quite a while as a friend. And Dan said to me years ago regarding Intel, he says, the thing about Intel is that their customers lie to them. Now, the Intel guys, I've always hated it, whatever I quote that to him. 
But what happens is these guys order as many chips as they could possibly need and then return them or cancel the orders. But they try to get these allocations from the manufacturers of semiconductors um, to fill every possible need that they might have. But when things turn, they end up shipping a lot of product back. And it's a, it's, it's a perennial problem for the chip industry, particularly in times of economic upheaval, as we are seeing right now with the economic reaction, global economic reaction from the war in Ukraine, the bounce back from COVID or the lack of a bounce back for COVID or what the hell is going on with COVID. Well, look, here is some specific actual information. No more prognostication, no more we think this could happen. Maybe we'll keep our eyes open. As you said last time, time will tell. No, these guys specifically are talking about personal computers and the smartphone business and the server business. And they expect that uh, the total size of this addressable market, the TAM, is going to be down this year and down a lot, down double digits, down 10%. Here is a, from the conference call after earnings, I thought it was really interesting to hear these guys just come right out and say it that the impact that they're having of this pullback on demand is hitting them right now at a 10% level. Here's Manish Bhatia. He's the EVP of Global Operations at Micron. Specifically to the PC and smartphone portion of the business, the volumes in each of these in terms of TAM for 22 are down roughly 10% from the expectations for 22 at the start of this calendar year. So with that degradation in in sell-through expectations, obviously the um, inventory levels uh, consequently from a weeks of sales perspective appears even bigger. And so there is a need for that adjustment. So I think those were some of the catalysts that uh, created uh, that impact on our Q4 and what we have projected for, you know, the uh, rest of the calendar year uh, this year um, in terms of when we expect the inventory correction to uh, sort of play out uh, in those segments. So, Corey, again, I could be wrong, but I feel like a 10% deviation from estimates in a post, uh, reasonably post-COVID world with all the supply chain issues that have gone on in the last couple of years to me, that says the estimators did a reasonably decent job of predicting what demand would look like, unless this is a very stable industry that hasn't been as affected by supply chain issues. I mean, 10% is a lot. I suppose. Right? I mean, for most of us, 10 if, we, if we've got 10% shorter overnight, we'd be about seven or eight inches shorter. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that uh, a tall guy, it's all, those, those numbers are always bigger for me than... Most humans, um, I, I, a 10% correction is a really big deal. And particularly when, you know, listen to what he's saying. What he's saying is that if there's a 10% reduction in total uh, market, then, you know, you crank through their inventory levels and it's going to get even bigger. So the 10% is just happening at the end market when they've sucked down inventories and what that means for orders for these guys, it could be bigger than 10%. To me, this is an example of the real hard, uh, proof that there is a slowdown in technology spending really big, even if that might not be the case for some of the companies, including the interview you're about to hear on this this podcast. And that is the question, you know, okay, so if they're pulling back on PCs, if they're cu- pulling back on servers, if they're pulling back on smartphones, and we're hearing all those things from Micron, are they pulling back on cybersecurity spending? Are they pulling back on other kinds of software? And what's that going to mean for the technology sector? We're going to get into that in the interview later. But from Micron's perspective, hardware sales are going to be down. 
Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's talk about beer. Delicious. Beer. Constellation Brands. Constellation Brands. Trades with the ticker STZ. For the last 12 months, shares are up 4%. What's the story with Constellation Brands? Now, Constellation reported a quarter of uh, Constellation Brands based in Fairport, New York, a fine town, one that I know better than most. Uh, outside of Rochester, New York, um, uh, the the fine folks in Fairport and uh, Constellation Brands they own Modelo and Corona and Pacifico, and those beers sold fantastically. They saw a twenty one percent increase in beer sales year over year. It's a huge rise. They think beer sales will continue to rise seven to nine percent, but wine and spirits they expect a decline by about two percent. So it's interesting to see these guys. You know, this, this business is just so different. When they uh, were first coming up in the world, they were a seller of boxed wines, you know, um, just real, real garbage coming from the beautiful Finger Lakes region of upstate New York, again, a place I know so well. Um, but acquiring beer companies, acquiring finer wine companies, acquiring um, some spirits companies as well. Uh, nonetheless, um, these guys, you know, really seeing that um, uh, they're gaining share. And even as the market contracts a little bit in wine and spirits or grows in beer, that they're growing share across the board. Um, And when you can beat your competitors in a declining market like wine and spirits, barely declining, or an increasing business like beer, can be good things for Constellation Brands. Here is the CEO of Constellation Brands. We're gaining significant share uh, in our beer business. We're gaining share in almost every sector of our wine and spirits business. Uh, both of those were very positive within the quarter. Um, and don't get confused or, or befuddled, if you will, by, by the lumpiness of the shipment timing, because last year, as we know, because of weather-related events, was, was a bit unusual. And so, therefore, the overlaps in particular quarters of this year will be a little different. I I look at the depletions, and our depletions were very strong, yielding share-gaining performance within the market. More importantly, we are continuing to see strong consumer demand uh, throughout the year, and and certainly uh, the consumers continues to be interested uh, with our our business, despite uh, an understanding that it's going to be an interesting year relative to questions around inflation and around recession. So that was Bill Newlands, the CEO of Constellation. Um, again, you know, thinking about issues like recession, but not seeing it yet, and certainly not seeing it when it comes to the sales of beer. Are you a beer guy? Are you a big beer guy? You're there in Portland? <laughs> Hot take. Uh, I think beer tastes like bread, and I don't think bread is for drinking. Uh, I much prefer a, sweet, a cider or a sweeter beverage. Wow. Really? This is unknown <laughs> to surprise, me. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I, I've consumed some wine with you in the past, but never any beer, but I'm not a beer drinker either. I will say I very much appreciated the wine that we shared together, uh, much um, more I, so than I, a lot of the other wines I've had. I, I, I try my best. Um, you know, the thing is, when I do drink beer, I do drink it in Fairport, New York, and I go to the Fairport Brewing Company, which does not sell any Constellation products, <laughs> but the proprietor of said uh, 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 establishment, Tim Garman, and the Fairport Brewing Company. They do a good job there. If I'm going to drink beer, you're uh, starting to sound like the most interesting man in the world. I don't always <laughs> drink beer, but when I do, it's in Fairport, New York. I'm not even the most interesting man in Fairport, New York. <laughs> but you might find me at the Fairport Brewing Company 
a week from uh, a week from today, tomorrow. Sounds, Sounds delicious. But between like now and bread. then, you could listen to this. We've got a great interview here with uh, the CEO of CrowdStrike, a big, you know, nearly $40 billion cybersecurity company um, at an interesting time when spending on cybersecurity uh, is rapidly growing, even as IT spending might be shrinking. Where does that leave CrowdStrike? We're going to talk to CEO George Kurtz right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now, as promised, by George Kurtz, the CEO of CrowdStrike. Um, George, really glad to have you on. You know, it, uh, for no particular reason, we've had a lot of uh, cybersecurity companies on um, the show lately. And, um, you know, yours is, is one of the, the the big dogs in the cybersecurity world right now. How do you describe what CrowdStrike does in, as it might differentiate itself from other um, companies in the cybersecurity space? Sure. So first, uh, great to be back on again. And uh, when we think about CrowdStrike, uh, our focus is stopping breaches. And that's the easiest way to, to talk about what we do. It's not stopping malware, it's stopping breaches. We've built a, uh, a cloud-based technology, we call it the Salesforce of Security, that's focused on understanding threats on endpoints and workloads and providing visibility, among other things, uh, to make sure that the bad guys and gals aren't getting into your systems and uh, stealing data and, and impacting your business. So. Um, that's kind of the highest level in a nutshell description that I can give. And there's a lot more detail, obviously, below that. Well, so, for example, we recently spoke with the Scaler, right? Which I, I, guess, I think, I think the, um, when, the, when the listeners hear cybersecurity, the companies all start to sound the same. You guys are at a, at a, do a lot more. But, but I think, I, think I, I guess one of the big differentiators is there are big solutions that do lots of things. And then there are sort of single solutions that might fall under that. Um, how, how do you do, how would you compare yourselves, for example, to Zscaler? I only mentioned them because we just had them on the show. Uh, yeah, the so Zscaler so. is is network focused, right? So they they handle the network piece of of security, and security is uh, is a big complicated market, and it really needs to uh, kind of parallel the technology curve, if you will. So Zscaler is focused on the network piece. We're really focused on the endpoints. And what is an endpoint? It could be your desktop, it could be your laptop, it could be a server, it could be a virtual system in an AWS cloud, it could be a container, right? So, um, you know, most people are familiar with the MacVs and semantics of the world. Most people don't like them because they're slow, ineffective, and, and don't really work. Um, and when they're looking for something that's, you know, more contemporary, provides greater visibility using AI, not signatures, and uh, is able to really stop breaches, we, we handle that side of the security piece. Um, and, you know, Zscaler is a partner of ours. So we work with Zscaler. They handle network piece. Uh, we work with Okta. They handle the identity piece. Uh, we've got some identity elements as well. But it, it, what we found in security is that really the, the best of platform approach is working as opposed to the best point product or the best kind of suite um, by some manufacturers. It's interesting too because you guys are, you've have continued to grow really fast right through you know whatever's going on in our economy right now and I'd love your take on that and and, and not to get too macro about this right I just want to focus on what you guys are doing at CrowdStrike but it has been interesting to see your growth has been so strong I mean last quarter you announced fifty seven percent year over year growth um, 
you know, it's 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 there, there's there's kind of general belief that this is a this is a fast growing business, regardless of what's happening in the economy, because companies can't um, put off cybersecurity spending. Companies well, I, I think whatever. I think that's right. And, um, you know, when we look at uh, actually last quarter was 61 percent ARR growth uh, year over year, yeah. which, uh, almost two billion annual recurring revenue. Um, We've seen a lot of success because the platform works uh, and we've been able to consolidate a lot of spend. When I first started the company, we had one module. We've got 22 today. So you can think about the, the platform as a small little lightweight agent that runs on these workloads and computers. The brain is in, uh, part of the brain is in the cloud. There's, there's some smarts on the endpoint as well. And then um, we've got modules that take advantage of all the data that we've collected. So once we collect data one time, we can then reuse that data and create different workflows and we can monetize those workflows um, and, and as we sell different modules. So we started with one, we've got 22, and depending on what outcomes people are looking for, solving vulnerability management, or it could be device control or data protection or what have you, uh, we can license those. So we've been able to consolidate a lot of agents and a lot of spend into a platform, very similar to, to what Salesforce has done in the, on the CRM side. If I could, uh... Paraphrase that. So what you're basically saying is once you find a, 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 a threat or once you find a solution, you can then um, both, set, uh, you, you know, protect all, all your other customers with that knowledge, but you can also build a new product on top of that if it's if it's that different a, a, an issue. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of two concepts there. One is the, the crowd and the crowd strike. The crowd and the crowd strike is the crowdsourcing aspect of what we do. So we've got agents uh, in 176 countries and we get about 7 trillion events per week that comes into our cloud. And that's really the diagnostic elements of what happens on a computer system. It, it isn't what you're doing. It's kind of what your system is doing. Um, from that threat data, we then train our AI algorithms to figure out, you know, what's good and what's bad. And then certainly all of that collective knowledge is able to, to go back out to all of our other customers. And we call that the community immunity piece of it. So that's one element. The second piece, though, is um, in addition to just protecting systems from malicious code that might run, we provide visibility into what's happening on the system. And what we why is that important? Well, when you're looking for... Um, you know, adversaries and, and potential breaches, a lot of times it's not even using malware. Someone may have their credentials stolen, someone may get onto your computer and then may start to try to move laterally. All that information is is collected and then analyzed. But, and what I'm saying is this is the beauty of the business model. Once we collect that, that sort of diagnostic view of what's happening on the system, we can then create different modules and workflows to solve different problems. And almost every new module is pure margin because we've already collected the data. So the business model ties into what we're doing, which in part has uh, led to the success that you've seen. Yeah, it also seems that at a certain, and as, and as much as, as nimble as you can be, which you would like, having a lot of customers is, is a real benefit because you're just exposed to more stuff. Um, it's like, it's like, it would be like seeing a doctor who's only ever seen one patient wouldn't be as valuable as a doctor who's got a lot of patients. Well, that's exactly right. and and. Um, when we think about AI and AI and security and, and AI machine learning, uh, it's kind of same thing, but in security gets uh, used a lot. And I always say you can, get, you can get a second year, you know, Stanford student or pick your university of choice uh, to create an AI algorithm. Uh, the challenge is the data set. You really need to have a very large data set of good and bad things so that you can 
train the data to understand what's good and what's bad and minimize the false positives. So the more data that you combine, the, the greater visibility across 176 countries, uh, the more effective you can be. And that creates a data moat from a business perspective. It's, it's hard to it just, you know, you look at Google, they've collected how much data over how many years. It's pretty hard to knock them off the pedestal, right? And same thing what we've done. We've got a, a treasure trove of, you know, data over the last decade that we've been able to leverage in creating the best outcomes for customers. How do you decide where to grow? I mean, when I look at sort of your your penetration through Fortune 500 companies or, or you know, I, I love it when companies such as yours refer to the Fortune 100. There is no Fortune 100, but okay, the top 100 companies in the Fortune 500. But, you know, how, how do you decide what products to create or what areas you want to grow in? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's a good question. And we have a very uh, elaborate, complicated and, uh, and um, sophisticated system to figure that out. And it's, uh, it goes as follows. We actually ask customers what they want. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those strange things, you know, how do people come up with uh, these products? And, you know, we actually listen to customers. And I say that, you know, tongue in cheek, that it's complicated. It really isn't that complicated. You know, what are they, what problems are, do they have? What outcomes are they looking for? Uh, do we think there's a market there? And then we create different uh, modules that take advantage of that. And, and again, we stick, what's important to, to really focus on here is what we build versus what we don't. It's as, as important sometimes to tell you what we don't do as what we do do. We are focused on endpoints and cloud workloads and sort of everything that goes around that, including the data and the telemetry that comes off those. We're not Zscaler, we don't do network, we don't do firewalls, we don't do a whole bunch of other things because we think it's a huge market that we're in. Uh, we'll be over a hundred billion dollar TAM with all the modules that we have over the next couple of years. And that focus has allowed us to do really well and customers have a certain expectation of the product quality and maturity. And then, as I said earlier, it's best of breed platform that plugs into a Zscale or Octo or something else. It also seems that, um, I mean, that sounds, it doesn't sound simple, but it, it sounds, oh, we listen to customers. It would seem like sometimes the customers would have something in conflict with decisions you've made about other products. And it's hard to decide when to, you know, if, if that's the case, like you've obviously made decisions not to do certain kinds of products and a customer might say, I want this kind of product. Well, there's a level of discipline too. You, you have to listen to customers. You have to kind of get back to the old Wayne, Wayne Gretzky sort of thing and, you know, combine with Steve Jobs. You know, you could, sometimes the you got to skate to where the puck is. And sometimes the customers don't always know, you know, what they want. Um, when I started CrowdStrike, I listened to customers' pain points, but no one told me to build, you know, the first cloud delivered endpoint protection platform on the planet. Like nobody said that. Um, I just looked at what the outcome needed to be and said, what's the best technology approach to do it? How do you combine that with an effective, scalable business model? You know, and here's CrowdStrike. So there's a reason, you know, we have expertise. There's a reason why we're number one in the space because we listen to customers of sort of what their outcome is. And then we don't necessarily say, how do you solve the problem? We come up with how we want to solve it. And if we want to be in a space and there's plenty of areas where we would say, hey, we just don't do that. We're not going to be a network company. You should go work with Zscaler. And I think they appreciate the fact that we have extreme focus in our area. Are there events in, that you've seen in your business that have driven a more rapid acceleration of your business? I'm thinking of like the Colonial Pipeline hack and things where different kinds of businesses realized um, a much more substantial existential threat to what they do. And I wonder if those led to 
um, a stepped up um, interest in your products? I think it's not one event, it's multiple events and it's sort of a category of things like ransomware. When you um, look at ransomware, it, it's, no, it's a huge business, first of all. There's not a lot of risk to the e-crime actors. And you, you said the right word is, it's an existential risk to companies. And I think boards really understand that now. And I've spent more time in the last two years with boards than I ever have, because they're looking at it saying, okay, this isn't like my computer gets encrypted and I lose some family photos. This is, we can't make our products. We can't ship our products. We can't badge in like the whole company shuts down. And that has really moved cybersecurity to the number one or two risk in, it, in any company, any board. And um, that has really, I think, changed kind of the landscape of how people look at security. When we think about the macro, potential macro headwinds that are out there now, not potential, but real macro headwinds, what does that mean for security? Well, it's a good question. And it's one of those areas where in many cases, we've seen open checkbooks at the board of director level, basically spend what you need, make sure we don't have a problem and move on. And I've had plenty of, of conversations with customers uh, a lot of it has to do in the procurement department where they've, you know, they sort of try to beat up on price. And I said, let me ask you, if you have a breach, is the CEO going to fund the breach response? Yes. Okay. That's going to cost you, you're a big company. It's going to cost you 25, 50 million minimum. I mean, we can go down a list of, of filings of companies that had to do it. So why don't you just spend the money, focus on the prevention, make sure the breach doesn't happen and move on. And I think that's, you know, people get that. And um, it, it, it has, again, served us well to be able to say, like, we're going to give you an outcome, even back it with a warranty uh, up to a million dollars. And, you know, that's our that's kind of our brand promise. Um, but people are spending so money on security and it will continue. The unprepared see a, a, a TV interviewer would say, so what does this mean in the current environment? But I'm really wondering, you know, I'm, I'm watching IT spending from all these companies and you are certainly under the category of IT spending. I mind you, maybe more critical than than upgrading uh, a database or a, a you know new server system or something. Uh, but what are you seeing in terms of what companies are saying? You know, June, May, June, July, two thousand twenty-two, um, when a lot of you know a lot of tech companies, particularly uh, here in the in the Silicon Valley area, are pulling back and are um, letting staff go and are, are reacting really quickly to any hint of an economic slowdown. I think it actually plays uh, into our favor. So it, it, first of all, you can't find uh, enough security people, but if you're looking to consolidate in certain areas, you're gonna do two things. Look to consolidate the security spend across multiple vendors that you have in security. So um, overall people could spend more with us, but keep their budgets flat or, or repurpose some of those dollars, right? Because we can consolidate uh, some of the spend. And the second thing too, is when you think about one of the biggest costs for many companies, people, to run a SOC 24-7, a security operations center 24-7 is really, really expensive. So we have things like um, Falcon Overwatch and Falcon Complete, which are more of a managed detection and response service 24 by 7. We've got the people, we've got the expertise. By the way, we see all of the attacks across 176 countries. We kind of understand what's happening. And if we can go in and say, you don't have to hire and run a shop 24-7, you can basically use our service. Huge savings to our customers. So I think, you know, in good times, great, we're moving. And in bad times, we can be a consolidator of spend. And that has been an effective play uh, and outcome for our customer. It has been an interesting story to watch. Um, and, it, and like I said, the growth has been really um, 
consistent and strong. And uh, uh, it's a company to keep an eye on. CrowdStrike CEO, George Kurtz, thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Coming up in the drill down, we've got one number that tells us a whole lot more about CrowdStrike when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And there are so many ways to listen to the Drill Down podcast, including your smart speaker. We can play the Drill Down every time we drop a show and get your latest serving of business news and business stories behind the stocks in a move by saying something like, Hey, Alexa, play the Drill Down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. That's bizpod with a Z. We are back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about CrowdStrike. Ben, uh, you heard George Kurtz talking about where this company is in terms of of the size of its market and the size of its customer footprint. And it's so important for these guys. I I misquoted the number, but the number of customers grew 57% year over year to, ready for this? I don't know if I'm ready. 17,945. 17,945 customers. And that, you know, that helps this company with every new customer they add. They learn more about different ways that cybersecurity strikes are happening. And they're able to sort of develop that knowledge from the crowd, as you heard George talk about, and kind of share that with other customers. It gives them a real advantage. Well, absolutely. And it can be hard to differentiate yourself in the cybersecurity space with the renewed emphasis. There's so many competitors. And so differentiating themselves from the crowd is something they seem to be doing very well. Indeed. All right, well, we appreciate your time. We're glad you're able to listen to the Drill Down podcast. It means a lot to us. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster somewhere is our executive producer on vacation. And Ben Wilson is our editor in the chair here with us this week. And thank you for that, Ben. The Drill Down, a production of the Business Podcast Network.